Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Paul Gaynor. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. And you can send messages to the show a, at the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant, or on Twitter at GoForItGant. And while you're there on GoForItGant, give me a follow at GoForItGant. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Bengals defensive end Michael Johnson. Michael's a free agent. Michael's about to get paid uh, in this offseason. Michael will definitely get himself some money in this offseason, and we're going to talk to Michael Johnson about his offseason, talk to Michael Johnson about some of the great things that will be going on with him in 2013 because he's going to get paid whether it's with the Bengals or whether it's with anyone else. He's getting paid the type of year that he had in 2013, 2012, I should say, 11 and a half sacks. And the thing about Michael Johnson is each and every year he's progressively gotten better. Each and every year his sack numbers have went up. Been been in the league four years, and each year the numbers have went up. So it's only going to get better for Michael Johnson. We're also going to be joined by actor Brian White. Brian is one of the stars of Beauty and the Beast, which airs Thursday nights on the CW Network, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. We're going to talk to Brian. Brian's a lifelong Celtics fan. Brian also used to play football, used to play in the NFL, played with the Patriots. Brian also is the son of JoJo White, the great Celtic, great and so, Brian, he bleeds Celtic green. So we're going to talk to Brian about his Celtics, talk to Brian about Beauty and the Beast. Also going to talk to Brian about the Super Bowl and get his thoughts on what happened a few weeks back in New Orleans. I want to start right now in the NBA. It is All-Star Weekend. It is that time. It's a, and, and before I start in, in talking about the NBA, the first half of the NBA, Season. I want to talk about All-Star Weekend in the NBA. No one does All-Star Weekend, in my mind, like the NBA. Uh, football, we know the Pro Bowl is, is, is hot garbage. It's boring. No one wants to watch that. That is unwatchable. It is unlikable. It's just not something you're going to watch. You got baseball. Yeah, the home run derby, but that that's, that stinks, too. I mean, that's boring. I, I, I can't even watch the home run derby anymore. I don't really find that all that exciting. And then you have the All-Star Game itself. Granted, now it means a little more than it once did, but it's still not something that 
it, it, it's not enjoyable baseball in my mind, but it's just me. Also, hockey, you know, that the, they have the shootout and, and all that. But, again, who cares? It's an all-star game. And let me, be, let me be clear. NBA does it the best, I think, than anybody. But let me be clear about something. All all-star games or just that are all-star games. It is what it is. It's not going to be highly competitive. NBA does get – you look at the NBA, the fourth quarter, if the game is close, it usually gets competitive. But all in all, it's just a show. It's a showcase. It's a showcase. So it is what it is. But the NBA, to me, no one does it like the NBA. The slam dunk contest may not have the same type of allure than it's, that it once had over the years, but it's still good. It's still decent. You're still seeing some pretty impressive dunks. And I thought one of the issues last year with the slam dunk contest and one of the reasons why maybe it didn't get a lot of buzz, it wasn't the dunks. The dunks were good. I don't think it was the dunks at all. I think the problem was the names. Jeremy Evans, who won the slam dunk contest a year ago. It's the name. So the name says to you, okay, it's Jeremy Evans. Who cares? He's not a household name. Now, granted, the, the dunk contest, you remember what Blake Griffin did it a couple of years back and how exciting that was. That was exciting. That was very exciting because you had a name in Blake Griffin. You had a big-time name. You had a name, and that means something when you have a name. This year, you know, you're going to run in maybe to the same problem. I know they're going to do things a little differently. It's going to be a two-round competition and also going to be in teams, East, east against West, three-on-three. And I look at this and I see, okay, Jeremy Evans, Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe is a good big-time dunker. I'm interested in seeing him. Kenneth Farid as well. He dunks with a lot of power. Dunked with a lot of power last night in the uh, Chuck against uh, Shaq in that uh, used to be called rookie and sophomore game. I forgot what they call it now. Uh, but, you know, and looking at that, he was dunking big-time. Farid was doing some sick stuff last night. And, he might be able to do some sick stuff in this competition. On the eastern side, James White, Terrence Ross of the Raptors, James White of the Knicks and Indiana's, Gerald Green. And we've seen Gerald Green and what he can do. We've seen Gerald Green and what he can do. But I, I enjoyed All-Star Saturday night, the three-point contest, the skills competition. I enjoy it all. But I'm a hoops junkie, so it's expected from me. But I, I think it, it's just more entertaining than – what baseball has to offer much more entertaining than what football has to offer and even more entertaining than what hockey has to offer in terms of their all-star games. No one does all-star weekend. No one does the all-star game in my mind like the NBA. That's just my opinion. I think the NBA does it best. It's a showcase. It's a spectacle. A lot of players are there. Past players are there. It's just an exciting time. It is just an exciting time, and I'm looking forward to it. I definitely am looking forward to tonight. I really am looking forward to tonight. It should be an exciting time, very exciting time. And I think we're all going to watch. I think a lot of us will watch. And I think a lot of us will watch the All-Star game tomorrow night. should be a good old time. should be a good old time. And I... It used to be the rookie and sophomore game, and actually now the Rising Stars Challenge. Team Chuck, Team Shaq, last night Team Chuck got it done. And the manimal, Kenneth Fareed, 40 big points, and he was the game's MVP. He was the game's MVP. 
But I want to switch now. I want to go to on the court. And granted, last night was on the court, but let's, let's that wasn't real. Let's let's talk about the real. And the real is there is a report. CBS Sports dot com. There is a report that there's talks between the Celtics and Lakers in a trade Rajon Rondo and the key centerpieces of Rondo and Dwight Howard. Now, if you're the Celtics and you have an opportunity for that type of deal to get your hands on Dwight Howard, yes, he's limited by his back. Yes, he has a shoulder injury, but he still is leading the league in, in rebounds. He's still leading the league in rebounds. He's still averaging 11 boards a game, even with a messed up shoulder, even with a messed up back, even being limited on some level. He's still putting up numbers. So as far as I'm concerned, and the old adage in basketball is you don't go, you don't trade big for small, and small for big. You don't do it. That's something you don't do. You don't trade a guard for a center. You don't do that. You don't trade small for big. Or should I say you don't trade big for small? And that's what the Lakers would be doing. They would trade big Dwight Howard for small, which would be Rondo. The Celtics, on the other hand, if you have an opportunity to get your hands on Dwight Howard, and, and I look at the Celtics and I say this is a team that, as far as I'm concerned, they need to be sellers. They, they need to be sellers. They need to start selling some things. They need to start selling right now. Because you look at this Celtics team. You look at that team, and it's all about championships when you talk about the Celtics and the Lakers. They're not winning championships this year. Rondo was their only hope. And even with Rondo in the lineup, did, did you really think the Celtics could beat the Miami Heat in a seven-game series? They, beat, they took them to seven last year. They did take them to seven last year. So give them credit on that. And I expected a lot out of the Celtics this year because I like some of the things that they did in the offseason. I really did, bringing in a Jason Terry, bringing in a Courtney Lee, bringing back Jeff Green. I like some of the things that they did. Sollinger they drafted, who was out for the year with his back, but Fab Mello as well. And I really liked the things that they did in the offseason. The only issue I had with the Celtics is where Ray Allen went. He went to the team that needed him the least, and that is the Miami Heat. He didn't go out west. That would have been better for the Celtics. He stayed in the Eastern Conference with the Miami Heat. And so now you look at the Celtics now. Rondo out for the year. This is a team, yes, 8-1 and one without Rondo, but I looked at their schedule. It wasn't that imposing. They beat the Clippers without Chris Paul. Beat, uh, they did beat the Heat. I'll give them that. They did beat the Heat. That was the first game without Rondo. They did beat the Heat, so i got to give them credit for that. They beat Toronto. They beat the Kings. Teams of that nature. I mean, it, it's not the names I'm giving you is not something that is that exciting. You're not excited by the, some of the teams that they beat during this stretch. Now, I look at the Celtics team, and I think they should be sellers. I think they should be sellers. I think they need to start selling. Whether it's KG or whether I, – I think they should try to – I think I would try to keep Pierce, and I would see what I can get for KG. That's what I would do if I'm Danny Age in the Celtics. I keep Pierce and see what I can do with Kevin Garnett. See what I can get for him. See what's out there. You know, there was one talk of you, – you heard some of the talks and some of the, the, the trade talk. You had what? Bledsoe, and I believe it was uh, DeAndre Jordan for – for Garnett. 
That was something that was out there. And to me, why not? I think you you got to try to get whatever you can for Garnett at this point. Because I think you're going to run into a situation now. You're going to run into a situation where you're going to get old, and you're getting older, and you're going to get old, and you're just not going to have anything. You're not going to be able you're going to be in a rebuilding situation. Now, they should try to do this thing on the fly. They should try to rebuild on the fly, retool, if you will, if you're the Boston Celtics. Because you look at the Celtics from the 80s. We remember the Celtics from the 80s and how, you know, it all broke down for them. And, you know, the the, the McHale and, and Bird and Paris, these guys got old. These guys started to break down. And then the Celtics really didn't replace them. And granted, Lynn Bias, one of the guys who – was was supposed to 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 kind of take over the Celtics and lead the Celtics into the nineties. He died unfortunately, and Reggie Lewis, a guy who who was a big time talent, he died. So you know, obviously the Boston Celtics lost some pieces along the way that would have helped them in their rebuilding process with the with that big three in the eighties of the eighties. But the thing is now, the Celtics, I think they're they're going to be in a position where they need to start possibly thinking about doing what they got to do to 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 fix things doing what they got to do to retool doing what they got to do at this point now to not be in a position they were in for a good for a good part of the 90s and the 2000s parts of the 2000s where you know you don't want to be a bad basketball team where you have the situation with Patino and, and, you know, Rick Patino in those years. That wasn't good years for the Celtics. That was not good years for the Celtics. And the thing is now, I look at the Boston Celtics, and one of the things that they did also back in, um, back in uh, 2008, they got pieces together, and getting those pieces together, they were able to ultimately make a run in 2008. We're going to get back to that now, but I'm going to move on from that, and we're going to go – to the NFL, and on the line now we have a guy who he's about to, he's a free, he's about to be a free agent. He's about to get paid, and things are going to be looking up for this guy in 2013. Let's bring him in now, defensive end for the Cincinnati Bengals, Michael Johnson. Michael, hey. how are you? Hey, how y'all doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining us, man. Yes, sir. Michael, let's get right down to it. You're a free agent. And you have been on record as saying that you want to stay in Cincinnati. Why do you want to stay with the Bengals? Why the Bengals? That's a team that, uh, you know, drafted me coming out. It's a team that, you know, believed in me, you know, over everybody else. And, you know, I, I like to pay them back for that with some of the best years of my career that's, that's about to come up. And, um, you know, I'm a part of a good thing that's going on there. You know, three out of four years, you know, I've been there. We've gone to the playoffs and, now it's time to get over that hump and, like, you know, do some winning in the playoffs. And it's coming. I know it's coming. Like I said, we've got a great young group of guys that I'm a part of and just want to keep it going, man. I want to start, I want to finish what's been started. And let's look at it now with you. There has been some talk that the Bengals may use the franchise tag on you. If that were to happen, would you be okay with that? Yeah, I'm a football player. That's what I do. Um, I'll be ready to go whenever that is. And, um, 
You know, I'm gonna go out there and be professional and, and, and handle my business. That's how I've always approached things, and, and this is not gonna be any different. But ideally, you would rather have the long-term contract. I mean, I mean, anybody would, but right. You know, it's a business and it'll play out the way it plays out. But either way, at the end of the day, I'm going to be straight. Right. Uh, I, I, said, I prayed on that uh, this time of the year last year, and I didn't worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it now. Everything will, will work out. Like, I'm, I'm going to be in the best situation for me and, you know, all possible. So I'm, I'm so relaxed right now. It is, <laughs> I'm <laughs> It, it just it you know it doesn't even seem like I'm about to be a, a you know a free agent or whatever. It doesn't even seem like I've heard people talk about going through the floor and how it can be stressful and stuff and all that. But I haven't had any of that. I didn't have any of that during the season. I haven't had any of that during the off season. I'm you know I didn't put it in God's hand, and I'm really not tripping. And you said you put it in God's hands. That's one of the reasons you could be relaxed. And another reason you could be relaxed is, let's be honest, you had a pretty good year in 2012, 11 and a half sacks, up from six and a half sacks in 2011. So if you made a progressive jump each and every year you've been in the NFL. What made you better in 2012? Well, uh, I've been telling people, you know, it's just a blueprint that I've used to, to prepare myself each year. And each year that blueprint has gotten better and better, um, you know, from diet, exercise, sleep patterns, knowledge of the game, um, experience, just all that. It's, it's a, I have a very strong team of, of people around me that I work with, from the mm-hmm. trainers, um, you know, nutritionists, you know, um, people that work on my body, for massage and chiropractic, all that type of stuff. You learn each and every year different ways to maximize, you know, your, your talents. And I think that's how you, you stay in the league a long time. Uh, I've learned from, you know, older guys like Robert Gevers, you know, mm-hmm. guys that, you know, nine, ten years in the game. And that, that's what I've always done. I've watched the guys that have been here the longest because the reason that they're still around. And every little bit of information I can learn and take from them, I try to digest it and make it my own and tweak it to where it fits me because everybody's different. So you got to find out what works best for you and just, you know, just hone into that and make it yours. And, and, and you know, it, it'll, it'll do numbers. And even this year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak some, some things again to try to be even better. Each year I'm going to try to improve. That's my goal, to be better each and every year. And you've done that throughout the course of your career. 2012, as we said, was a contract year for you. Was there any motivation for you? Was there any extra motivation for you in 2012, going into 2012? Just being better than I was the year before. Right. And that's, that's always the motivation. It's not going to change by year in and year out for me. It's going to be me trying to be better than I was the year before. That's going to be it. Like, it's not going to be anything anybody says to me or anything that anybody says about me, it's going to be me trying to be better myself. Like, that, this comes from within. And so that's where I draw from, and that's where I, um, I bring my goals. I, I put my goals out for myself. You know, I don't I don't use anybody else's goals for me or anybody else's expectations. I make my own. You know, I go after them. 
we're talking to Bengals defensive end Michael Johnson. And, Michael, we look at your Bengals now. The past two seasons, obviously, it's been good, but it's ended in a way that you guys really didn't want it to end. Two straight losses to the Texans. What do you feel like you guys need to do now to get over the hump? We got to be consistent when it's time to be. Um, I was saying the other day that, you know, we we, we had good runs, you know, good streak, win streaks during the regular season, but we didn't make a win streak during, you know, playoff time. And that's right. the most important win streak you can really have is first playoff game until it's over with. But we weren't able to do that, and we got to find a way to do that. And I think that's just being more consistent across the board, you know, all three phases and even – you know, you're being consistent. You want each each phase to play their best at the right time. But if that's mm-hmm. not the case, then the phase is going to have to carry each other. One down, the other one got to pick the other one up. And mm-hmm. you just got to know that. You got to expect that if, okay, we're struggling over here, then we know this side is going to be even more excellent. So it works with those back and forth like that, but just to try to you know, to try to get it more consistent so that we can all be going in the right direction at the right time. And, Michael, I, I look at you guys on the defensive side of the ball. Your front four was dominant in terms of sacks. You guys were third in the league with 51 sacks, 12.5 by Geno Atkins, 11.5 by you. Talk about the play of your defense in 2012 and the play of your front four. Man, we just got a great group of young guys that love to play football, love to compete um, day in and day out. You know, there's always a competition with each other, you know, who can get back there, who can make the most plays. And it's all in fun. Like when one of us makes the plays, it's like all of us making the play. People used to joke on me that I celebrate more when somebody else makes a play than when I make a play because I'm just so excited about it and happy for just the group because I know when we go out there, you know, we represent each other. And uh, we take a lot of pride in, you know, being the strength, you know, of the team. And, um, you know, we, we try to lead by example. And, you know, we've done a pretty good job in it the last few years. We want to continue on to doing it. You know, we, uh, you know, we like being talked about as, as one of the, the best D-lines in the league. And, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's not a right. It's a privilege. But, you know, we, we, we've earned that. So we're gonna to continue to earn it because it's not something that you can just you can just do one year here, one year there. It's about you know being consistent and doing it consistently, and we're working on that. So I look forward to you know being talked about as one of the top D lines in the league for the rest of my career. So. And I look at your team now, the Bengals as a whole. Andy Dalton's a big time quarterback. A.J. Green's a big-time wide receiver. You guys are young on the offensive side of the ball, young on the defensive side of the ball. How close do you think this team is actually – how close do you think the Bengals are to taking that next step, ultimately getting to the Super Bowl? I think we're real close. Like, you, you think, like, I feel like we would have been able to win in Houston. Who knows? You know, we, right. we could have easily been in New Orleans. So we, we, we're a lot closer – then, you know, then we may even realize ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, man, it's just about being consistent and everybody going in the right direction, you know, at the right time. So, Definitely. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's, it's, a, it's a funny game. You just got to <laughs> play it. You got to play it. 
And you talked about New Orleans, and one of the teams in your division, the Ravens, were able to go to New Orleans and able to win the Super Bowl. You look at the Ravens now and how they got to the Super Bowl, Ray Lewis and the whole Ray Lewis ride and the whole Ray Lewis run. Just looking at that Ravens team and looking at their run throughout the course of the playoffs, did you sense that it, it was just destiny for the Ravens to get to New Orleans and ultimately win the Super Bowl? That was the running joke, man, among me and some of my friends. They were like, man, they're going to give it to Ray. They're going to give it to Ray. But, <laughs> <laughs> but nah, man, he just, he's a great leader, man. Those guys really rallied around um, around him. And when, when I saw them, you know, go to Denver and win, I, I, I pretty much knew they were going to win the whole thing then because that was going to be – I felt that was going to be their toughest test on the road in Denver, you know, against Peyton Manning. And they went in there and pulled that thing out. Joe Flacco played amazing. Right. And uh, that's what I mean by every 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 phase hitting on the hitting the, hitting on all cylinders at the right time. They were able to do that. You know, you know, defense gave you know wasn't stellar or, or perfect, but you know the offense came through for them. The special teams right. came through for them. And um, you know they go up to New England. Defense plays lights out. You know, so it's, they they carry each other, and um, they were able to to finish it out in New Orleans. Um, and that was so. that was my thing when I looked at the Ravens when they beat the when they beat the Broncos. I was saying to myself that maybe this could be some kind of destiny type situation because just the way that game went, I mean, they gave up two special teams touchdowns and still won. I mean, they, yeah, so. Man. It, it was crazy how that whole situation worked out for the Ravens, but they are the Super Bowl champions. They are in your division, and that's a team for you guys to shoot for in 2013, definitely. So I, I look at you, Michael, now, and you're spending a lot of time in the classroom oh, yeah. in this off season. You're taking classes to finish up your degree at Georgia Tech. How's that going for you, man? How is it being back in the classroom again? It's going real good. Uh, I have a much better appreciation for it now. You know, I sit on the front row of all my classes. I speak with the professors. Okay. I interact with, you know, other students that are not athletes. And it's just a, it's been a real pleasant experience, you know. Uh, I'm learning a lot and uh, just just enjoying it. You know, Georgia Tech is, you know, one of the top institutions in the country. And I'm, I'm really realizing that. I, I hit my mom up when I got back the first week. I was just, you know, telling her how thankful I was that I made the decision to go there. And right. I didn't realize it when I was there, but it was a very good school. And it's just, I'm just blessed, man. I'm real blessed. To be from Fair Miles, you, I, 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 you know, I saw that you, 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 you were 18 credits short of getting your yeah. degree in business administration. I'm taking, I'm taking, yeah, I'm taking 10 right now. And then I have okay, 8 10 credits. Probably, probably next semester one. Come back. I had like two classes left. Okay. Okay. So you probably are going to be done. You're thinking near the end of 2013 or possibly 2014. Yeah. Even it depends on you know what happens. Like I feel like if I get if I get tagged or whatever, then I'll be able to take another like a short semester from from May beginning of May through through the beginning of June and uh. I may be able to take another class during that period of time before I go and uh, start my, you know, my second session on my training. First, my training goes in like two things. I have like a March 
through through May segment, and then I had like a June and July segment. June and July segment goes on in Arizona. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'll be out there again. We're talking to Bengals defensive end Michael Johnson, and Michael, 2012 was big for you on the field and big for you off the field with your Michael Johnson vision for success. Tell us about your work with your foundation. Oh, man. <laughs> Is it, it, is a lot. I, I was looking at, at the website of the day, mj mj org, and um, I didn't even know that I I didn't even remember that I'd done all that stuff. But uh, you know, we 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 got a, got a camp coming up here in April, April twenty seventh, down in my hometown, and uh, you know, we, this will be the fourth year doing everything that last year as well. Had a day in the park for the kids down there before I went back in July um, in Cincinnati. Uh, I had MVK program, the most valuable kids. And like every every home game, we had a group of kids come to the game, 10 or 15 kids, and they had to write essays. I would go and speak to them, and then they would write essays about, you know, obstacles that they overcome in life. Uh, okay. First behind that was for them to understand that, They've already overcome obstacles. Life is about overcoming obstacles, and even though they, you know, they're young, you know, ten, eleven, fifteen years old, I try to target the middle school kids, and okay. you know, let them understand that even though they're young, they've already uh, beat a lot of odds and beat a lot of obstacles and stuff. And just to let them know that it's, it's life is like that, and to, to look back on past experience and have confidence when you. You run into walls, you run into stuff, you just break through it and keep going. You know, uh, a lot of times people don't understand how close they are to reaching their dreams. They they give up and it'll add one more push, the wall will fail right down. So big on encouraging that. But we have groups come to home games. Uh, also, University of Cincinnati, we partner with them and the Gen 1 program is a program for first generation. College students, I sponsor a group of kids over there uh, each year, and that's probably one of the biggest, biggest things we do with, with my foundation, is sponsoring them. And like I said, that's breaking the cycle. Be the first person to go to college. And big time, both of my parents are first generation, and I see the results that they was able to have in their lives and in my life. Because mm-hmm. you know, you first generation and your family go to college, the next generation is going to benefit even greater from that. Right. And, you know, I'm in that I'm in that next generation. So I want to reach out and, you know, help break the cycles in other people's lives. And, you know, I've just been blessed to be in a position to do this, man. And, and I believe too much is given, much is required. And it is a joy, when you know, when I'm able to go out and, you know, help feed a family for Thanksgiving or, or do a toy drive because we did that as well this year. It's a, it's a lot of stuff. Like I um I could probably talk to you forever about <laughs> about different stuff, man. But it's, like I said, man, it's a blessing. And as long you know they're here to listen, you know, I'm, I'm gonna tell people exactly what what I was able to do to, right. to you know to to be successful and to succeed in in life. And I'm not gonna hide any secrets from anybody. I, I'm a true believer in that. Don't don't hide. Don't have secrets to success. Share them. Share them with forward. You never Definitely. know who you could be um, influencing. So. 
you're all about breaking cycles, and let's break cycles. That's a good thing to break cycles, have positive cycles of people going to college and becoming successful. That's a good thing, man. That's definitely a good thing. And fans, go to mj93.org, see some of the great things Michael Johnson is doing within his community. He's doing a lot in his community, so make sure you check it out, mj93.org. And, Michael, I'm going to be hitting you up in about April or May, I know you're going to get paid around that time. Uh, I'm going to hit you up for a little loan, so um, be ready. <laughs> you're going to have to grab a ticket because I'm sure it's going to be a long line. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, appreciate you stopping by, man. You're about to get paid, which is a great thing. You had a great 2012 season. You've gotten better each and every year throughout the course of your career, so keep doing that. Keep it going in 2013. Wish you nothing but the best of luck, man, and let's do it again. Yes, sir. Thank you. Michael Johnson, going to be a free agent, but as of right now, defensive end for the Cincinnati Bengals, probably going to get paid in 2012, 2013, I should say. He's going to get paid. You know, the, the type of year that he had, the type of years that he's had. I mean, Michael Johnson has got progressively better over the last four years of his career. I mean, every year, each and every year, he's made a jump statistically in his career. He's made a jump each and every year throughout the course of his career. He's made a jump. And in making that jump, he's gotten better, and he picked the best time to have his best year. I mean, going into your 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 contract year, your contract year, you're going to be a free agent, and he – Comes out with an 11 and a half sack season. I mean, he's gotten better each and every year. Each and every year, he's got progressively better. Started out 2009, three sacks. Took a little dip, a half of a sack difference in 2010 to two and a half sacks. But the tackles went up in 2010. 2011, sacks went up again. Six sacks for Michael Johnson. He nearly doubled that in 2013, 2012, I should say, with an 11 and a half big sack. So the guy has got progressively better over the past four years. He's only 26 years old. Man, man, Michael Johnson is going to get paid. And whether it's with the Bengals, whether it's with someone else, he's going to get paid. And, you know, Michael Johnson had a stellar season for the Bengals. That defensive line had a stellar season for the Bengals. And you look at the Bengals as a team, that was a team that got off to a slow start, got off to a slow start earlier in the year, and we're able to finish strong, become a hot team down the stretch, and ultimately we're able to make it to the playoffs. Again, you know, Andy Dalton, second year in the playoffs, and his second year in a row he ran into the Houston Texans. Ran into the Houston Texans, and maybe next year they'll shoot for trying to get uh, a better record to get home field in the playoffs, and maybe that'll help them moving forward. But at one point... The Bengals were a team that, you know, were three and five. They were three and five at one point in this season. And then in November, ran off four straight into December and then ended the year with three straight. So they won seven of their final eight games. And winning seven of their final eight games, they were able to get into the playoffs. But again, they ran into the Houston Texans, ran into that buzzsaw. As the, as, you know, they ran into the Houston Texans again. 
And I, well, I said buzzsaw, but they're really not a buzzsaw. I mean, they went out the following round the Houston Texans. But they ran into the Houston Texans. Unfortunately, they had to go to Houston. And Houston's always a tough place to play. And because they ran into Houston, in Houston, they weren't able to move on. But the future is bright in Cincinnati. They have their quarterback. They have their wide out. And they have a decent front four, a decent defense that's just gotten better over the years. So we'll see what happens with Michael Johnson. We'll see what happens with the Cincinnati Bengals. I want to go back to the NBA now, and I want to go. I was talking about the Celtics and a possible deal, Rondo, for Dwight Howard. That was on the table. At this point, apparently there are reports that is on the table. Mitch Kupchak, the GM for the Los Angeles Lakers, have, has denied that. He's denied that they are in talk, so we'll see how that works out. But the Celtics, I think, need to do something. And I'm not even talking about for this year. I'm talking about for moving forward. They need to do something. They need to do something. <clears throat> they do. They need to do something. Because, again, they're going to run into a situation now where they're going to be a team that's going to get old and then – they're going to be a bad team possibly for a few years because they're going to have to rebuild that thing in Boston. The thing about what Danny Age did, you remember what Danny Age did. Just He kept acquiring pieces for the Boston Celtics, kept acquiring pieces, kept acquiring pieces. And in acquiring these pieces, the Celtics started to have tradable assets. They started to have tradable assets. Assets that could help them in terms of either either working with that young team and getting that young team to the next level or assets that will help them ultimately move some guys to get better, to get, a vet, get some veteran help, what they ultimately did. I mean, we look at the Celtics in 2006, 2007, they were a bad basketball team, 24 and 58, bad basketball team. Well, the thing about the Celtics is, you look at their roster, they, they acquired pieces. They have pieces. They started putting together pieces, and ultimately one of those pieces was, 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 was draft picks, and ultimately that fifth pick that they had, which they parlayed into Ray Allen, and then Al Jefferson, a piece that they had, a guy who was an up-and-coming big man at the time, and Al Jefferson's a solid big man in this league. He's a solid big. And they parlayed Al Jefferson – Ryan Gomes and those guys into Kevin Garnett. So they were able to ultimately acquire pieces. Danny Age acquired pieces over the years and was able to ultimately use those pieces to get veteran help. And he, he used those pieces to go along with Pierce and Perkins, Kendrick Perkins, and also to go along with Rondo. So he used all those pieces to get Allen and Garnett, and they were, the, they were the thing that pushed the Celtics over the top. They were the new big three for the Boston Celtics, and those additions pushed the Celtics over the top. It pushed the Celtics over the top. And the Celtics were able, from that point on, to take off. They were able to take off. 2008, you win the, you win the, uh, the NBA title. 2009, you get back there and you fall short to the Lakers. But you got there. You got there. And you, you became 
um, you know, not I wouldn't say a dynasty. I was going to say a dynasty, but not a dynasty. Obviously, you only won one championship, but you became a contending team for years to come. You became a contending team for years to come. Now, they're at a crossroads. Ray Allen went to the Miami Heat. And I like, uh, I said before, I like what they did in the offseason. I like how they retooled. But again, now you have Ronda going down. You have that situation. So it, to me, you need to become a seller. Maybe you get your hands on a Bledsoe or, or a DeAndre Jordan from the Clippers. I mean, a young, big in DeAndre Jordan. And uh, Eric Bledsoe, who's sitting behind Chris Paul, but has shown a lot of promise. And then maybe you go with Bledsoe and you, you trade away Rondo to get possibly Dwight Howard, which has been some talk out there. Obviously, Kupchak, Mitch Kupchak of the Lakers has denied it, but there's, there's sources out there that are saying that possibly the Lakers and the Celtics have had some preliminary talks about bringing on Rondo for Dwight Howard, trading Rondo for Dwight Howard. I don't know. I don't know. I'm seeing a report, as I said now, with the Celtics, there's been talk, there's been a discussion between the Clippers and the Celtics, excuse me, excuse me, about trading Garnett for Bledsoe and DeAndre Jordan. And again, again, I think that's a good move for both teams. I think it's a great move for both teams. I really do. I really do. From the Clippers' standpoint, you get a, a legitimate big man in Garnett in terms of his ability to score in the front court, his ability to, to on the defensive end, his ability, you know, his, his leadership. It's a piece, and I think it's an improved piece over what you have in DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan, for all the things he can do in terms of blocking shots and his athleticism, he's still kind of raw. He's still kind of a raw player. DeAndre Jordan is still kind of a raw player. So you get an opportunity to get a polished big in Kevin Garnett, a guy who's been there before, a guy who I think definitely improves your half-court offense. I think you've got to do it if you're the Clippers. <clears throat> I think it's a great opportunity for the Clippers, and I think it's a great opportunity for the Celtics, a great opportunity for the Celtics to get younger, a great opportunity for the Celtics to acquire pieces, a great opportunity for the Celtics to start thinking about life after Pierce Garnett, thinking about life after Pierce and Garnett. That's what I think the Celtics need to do. If they have an opportunity, I think they need to do it. DeAndre Jordan, nine points, seven rebounds a game, and again, he's blocking shots. He's leading his team in block shots. Uh, almost a block and a half a game for DeAndre Jordan. So all in all, all in all, I think this would be, would be a great deal for both the Celtics and a great deal for both the Celtics and the Clippers, a great deal for both teams, a great deal for both of these teams. We'll see. We'll see. If it happens, we'll see if it happens. But if you're the Boston Celtics, I think it should happen. I think it should happen. I think you need to think about your future. You've had your run with this with this roster. 
you've had the run with this roster. This roster has taken it as far as it could go. They've taken it as far as the, it could go. They, they've, they've won. You got a title out of it. That's big. That's important. You got a title out of this thing. Now it's time to think about the future. And the future, in my mind, the future is thinking about trading Kevin Garnett. Not Pierce, because I think you could keep Pierce and possibly retool the Celtics and turn it into a championship team again. I'm not ready to move on for Paul Pierce. Both of these guys, Pierce and Garnett, still can play. They still can play. Obviously, they're, they're probably not the players. They're obviously not the players that they once were, but they still can ball out. They still can ball, still can play. And think about Paul Pierce. He's 35. He's getting older, definitely getting older. Garnett, 36. These guys are getting older. But I think Pierce is still still has a little more than Garnett. I think Pierce still has a little more than KG. So I think if I'm the Celtics and I'm thinking about retooling this thing and rebuilding and retooling, I wouldn't rebuild. I'm thinking about retooling, and I think a part of that retooling starts with moving on the great Kevin Garnett, moving on KG. I think that's what the Celtics should do. I think that's what they should think about. Will they? We shall see. But, again, the Celtics, the Lakers, those teams are about championships. And looking at both of those teams, they're not championship-caliber teams. They're just not. Could you, and I, I'll put it to you this way. When Rondo out, the Celtics are, are done. But with the Lakers, with that talent on that roster, and obviously the talent is not meshing. It's becoming more evident and obvious that the talent that the Lakers have are just, is just not meshing together. And it may not mesh together, especially with this coach, especially with the, the talent that is together. It just may not happen. It just may not happen. And you see the way the Clippers just went up and down the court on that team. The Clippers just ran the Lakers out of Staples Center Thursday night. They just ran the Lakers out of Staples Center. Ran them out. Ran the Lakers out of Staples Center. And the Lakers are a team now. They're just old. And the thing about that, and I talked about this in this offseason, I said one thing about this, this whole situation, I didn't think it would be this, obviously. I didn't think the Lakers would be, after 51 games, 25 and 29, and on the outside looking in, in terms of the playoffs. I didn't think they would be the 10th seed in the Western Conference. I didn't expect that, obviously. I didn't expect that. I don't think anybody did. If you did, you're amazing, and I want your number and I want to play the lotto with some of the numbers that you play with. Because you're the only one. If you thought the Lakers weren't going to make the playoffs, I need to talk to you. Because you, you have something that is very special that I need. Because I look at this Laker team and the talent that they had on this roster, I mean, arguably the best center in the game. Arguably one of the better two guards in the game in Kobe Bryant. Some say he's the best in the game. At this point, you're probably going to say LeBron James. But again, Kobe is still Kobe. Steve Nash, still one of the better point guards in this game. Pau Gasol, still one of the better power forwards in this game. And you put that all together and you're saying to yourself, that that has to be something. That, that should get you at least to the Western Conference Finals and beyond. At least. And I look at the Lakers, got off to the slow start, and then they said, you know what, this whole Mike Brown situation ain't working. 
It just isn't working. This Princeton offense isn't working. This team with Mike Brown isn't working. So five games into the season, the Lakers decided, you know what, let's make a move. And they made the move. They made the move. They fired Mike Brown. Fired Mike Brown after five games. After five games. We're talking about five games into the season. Mitch Kupchak and the rest and the rest of the Laker organization decided that it's time to move on from Mike Brown. So you bring in Mike Dant. Well, before you brought in Mike Dant, there was talk, okay, Phil Jackson wants to come back. Phil Jackson is poised and prepared to come back. And then you do the unthinkable, the unspeakable. You decide that in your mind, and I don't know where you came up with this. I, I, I don't know where this came from, but you decided that Phil Jackson wanted to coach. Mike D'Antoni was the guy for this team, a team that is not a team that built, is built on running like Mike D'Antoni's teams have done in the past. A team that, you know, Mike D'Antoni had his most success when his teams played small ball. When he played small ball. And the Lakers are by no means a small team. They're a big team. They're a big team. This team is not built to run. This team is not built to do that. It's not built to run in Mike D'Antoni's system. So you somehow, someway believe that Mike D'Antoni is a guy of teams. Now, Mike D'Antoni has had success. Mike D'Antoni has had success, so let's be clear about that. He's had a lot of success throughout the course of his coaching career. But did he have championship success? No. Are the Lakers about championships? Yes. Say what you will about Mike Brown. Mike Brown did lead his team to the NBA Finals. Mike Brown did lead a team to the NBA Finals. And you look at the roster that he had, and granted LeBron James was great during that year, but you look at the roster that the Cleveland Cavaliers had the year they made the finals, you look at that roster, it's not the who's who's in pro basketball. It's just not. It's just not. The talent on that roster was not that impressive. It just wasn't that impressive. But the thing about it is this. The thing about it is this. Mike Brown and granted, with the help of LeBron James, he took his team to an NBA final. Mike D'Antoni's never done that. He's gone to the conference final a, few, a couple times, had success in Phoenix, and, and a lot of people say that, you know, that one year where, where Steve Nash was, was hip-checked by Robert Ory and guys came off the bench and ultimately guys were suspended. But that one year, and also Joe Johnson was injured throughout the course of that you, the, that playoff series against the Spurs. And also you remember the year after that, Amari Stoudemire started having issues with his knees. So you could argue maybe if things would have shook right that the Suns would have made it to the NBA Finals under Mike D'Antoni. But Steve Nash was a lot younger then. Steve Nash definitely was a lot younger then. This is not that Steve Nash. Still a very good NBA point guard, but it's not that Steve Nash. It's Steve Nash that Mike D'Antoni had his most success with as a head coach. Not that Steve Nash. He's not that Steve Nash anymore. But but he's still a decent point guard. But I look at the Lakers and, and the decision 
to bring in Mike Tantoni was not a good decision, obviously, I don't think. And and I and the thing about it is he has three what he's signed a four year deal with the Lakers, so he's gonna be here for a while. He's going to be here for a while in Los Angeles. He's gonna be in Los Angeles for a while. Not unless they're 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 okay with paying a coach to let him sit around him. They're paying Mike Brown some money to sit around. So I didn't have a problem with the firing of Mike Brown if you were going to bring in Phil Jackson. If you're bringing in Phil Jackson, I can't argue. That's, a, that's an upgrade. That's a legitimate upgrade. I can't necessarily definitively say that bringing in Mike D'Antoni was a, a, a full-fledged upgrade. I, I can't say that. Mike D'Antoni had a lot of success in Phoenix, but he had no success with the New York Knicks. He didn't have any success with the Knicks. And then Mike Woodson takes over his team, essentially, and the Knicks had some struggles going into his all-star break, but the Knicks are second in the Eastern Conference. And this is essentially the same team, essentially. Obviously, there's some differences, but essentially the same team that Mike D'Antoni had, that Mike Woodson has, has now with the Knicks, and the Knicks are a much better team, 32-18 and 18, as a team. A much better team. But I look at the whole situation with the Lakers, and I'm still not prepared to say the Lakers won't make the playoffs. I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not. But, but, but it's getting close. 51 games into the season, 31 left. 31 games left for the Lakers. 31 games left for the Lakers. 31. And at this point, three and a half games behind the Houston Rockets. And I said last week, I said last week, I still give the Lakers a chance to make the playoffs because the team that is ahead of them, Portland's ahead of them. Portland's three games under 500, but the Rockets, a team that occupies the eighth spot currently in the Western Conference is a team. I said this before. This is a team that's been up and down throughout the course of this year. And who's to say they won't be down again? Who's to say they won't be down again? This is a team that had a seven-game losing streak in January. So the Rockets could seemingly fall apart. That could happen. So as far as I'm concerned, and the talent that the Lakers have on their roster – Granted, Dwight Howard is not 100%. He's not 100%, but the talent, and Gasol's gone, and has been gone for a while, and maybe gone for a while longer. So the talent that the Lakers have, yes, you can't count them out, because they have Kobe, they have Howard, they still have Steve Nash. You can't count them out. But, but, I look at this Lakers team, and there's really nothing to get excited about. There's really nothing that you can hold that you can say, you know what, this is the reason why the Lakers will be in the playoffs. This is the reason why they'll get better. This is the reason why they can go on a run. Only thing I can point to is the talent level in terms of Kobe, in terms of Nash, in terms of Dwight Howard. That's the only thing I can point to. That's really the only thing I can point to in terms of this Laker team. Because I don't know if it's going to get any better. I don't see it getting any better. And reality is, even if the Lakers were to make the playoffs, 
it wouldn't last that long anyway. As we've seen the Lakers right now, they're one and nine against the top four teams in the Western Conference. One and nine. So if they're going to get that eighth spot, they're going to play the Spurs or the Thunder, possibly the Clippers. They're going to play one of those three teams, and they're one and nine against those. Well, including Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies, they're the fourth team in the Western Conference. We included them in that one and nine. But I mean, they have only beaten, only beaten the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's the only team they've beaten out of the top four teams in the Western Conference. So they're one and nine against the top four teams in the Western Conference. So they probably won't be able to beat the Thunder. They did beat them once but they won't beat the Thunder in a seven-game series. Probably won't beat the Spurs and probably definitely won't beat the Clippers because I think the Clippers is an awful matchup for the Lakers. They just The Clippers are just too athletic, too quick, too fast, and too athletic for the Lakers. The Clippers are just that. They're too quick, too fast, and too athletic for the Lakers. I think we've seen enough already out of these three matchups to say that the Clippers are just not a good style matchup for the Los Angeles Lakers. And the way the Lakers have been playing throughout the course of this year, I don't think there's a lot of teams that are good style matchups for them. Let's be honest. Let's let's be honest when you look at the Lakers. And we, you know the thing about the funny thing is we, we've talked about the Lakers, and I've got caught up in it myself, and we tend to forget about everybody else. But I think the biggest story of the first half of the NBA is the Lakers. And, and, the Lakers being, A, the 10th team in the Western Conference, and the Lakers just struggling. I mean, that's been the biggest surprise. You bring in a Dwight Howard, a Steve Nash, and to add to what they already had and add to a team that was very competitive against Oklahoma City in the playoffs. They were very competitive against Oklahoma City, this Laker team was. Very competitive. And there was a lot of games, a couple of those games, that could have went either way. There were a couple of those games that could have went either way. And so the Lakers, they competed against OKC. They competed against OKC in those playoffs. And they get they lost two games where they should have won. They lost that series in five, but they gave away a couple games. Gave away a couple games. Gave away a couple games. And Lakers didn't make it to the second round of the playoffs last year. And you figured with what they added that the Lakers would be a team that obviously I had them winning the titles. I I got caught up. I got caught up in the Lakers. I got caught up. But I look at the Lakers and they were competitive against Oklahoma City. It wasn't a I mean, yes, it was a five game series, but it wasn't it was a competitive five game series. It was a competitive five game series between these two teams. A very competitive five game series. And so the Lakers is a team now. May not make the playoffs and in not making the playoffs it's gonna be interesting now because Steve Nash, in that Steve Nash trade, they gave up their pick, their number one pick in 2013 to the Suns. And I don't believe it's lottery protected. So with that being said, 
a lottery pick could be going to the Suns from the Lakers, and that's just crazy to think about. That's just that's just crazy when you when you when you think about it that way. This Laker team could be in some serious trouble, not only for this year, but for years to come because of what they did in terms of bringing in bringing in Nash and Dwight Howard and everything and having that situation just fall apart. But we don't know if Dwight Howard is going to stay in L.A. We don't know. We just don't know. And judging by the way the season has gone, he could be on the way. He could be packing to Boston, according to some reports. There's a possibility he could be traded to Boston before the end of this year, possibly in the offseason. So who knows what's going to happen with Dwight Howard? And who knows who knows what's going to happen with the Los Angeles Lakers? The second hour of Go For It starts right now. And in this hour, we're going to be joined by actor Brian White. Brian, one of the stars of Beauty and the Beast on the CW Network. Brian's a guy, big-time fan of the Boston Celtics, the son of NBA great JoJo White. Brian also played with the Patriots, uh, played four games with the New England Patriots. So Brian White has been in the league in terms of the NFL. Brian White has grew up around sports with JoJo White as his father, and Brian White loves the Boston Celtics. So we're going to get his take on the Boston Celtics. We're going to get his take on Beauty and the Beast. We're going to get his take on the Super Bowl. Brian's always an interesting guy to talk to, a well-rounded guy, a guy who, who who's into a lot of things. So very well-rounded guy, very articulate brother, and we're going to bring him in in the second hour, in this hour, I should say, which is the second hour. Also, I'm about to shoot the sheriff, everybody. I'm going to shoot a sheriff in this second hour. Brian Sheriff will be joining us in the second hour. Brian Worked in television for many, many years. Brian, very knowledgeable about sports and all sports. And we're going to bring him in, and we're going to do a little debate. Got three topics lined up here, and I'm going to debate Brian in the two, at 2.30. We're going to get our debate on. I'm about to shoot a sheriff, and I might even get the deputy. I might if I'm lucky. But I'm going after Brian Sheriff, 2.30. Stick around for that. Should be fun. Brian White. Brian Sheriff here in this second hour. And I want to now continue on. I want to look at LeBron James. And there's been talk throughout the course of this whole week. Michael Jordan is turning 50. So a lot of people have been talking about LeBron James and LeBron James in the comparison to Michael Jordan. LeBron James has had a stellar season. has had a great run where, you know, six straight games of over 30 points and 60% from the field. I mean, it, it's been special the way LeBron James has been playing over these past few weeks. I mean, he's been balling. LeBron James has been balling over these past few weeks. Balling. He's been balling. And I look at the way LeBron James is playing. and We've seen 
a guy do some of the things LeBron James is doing. He's doing some 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 amazing things. He's really doing some amazing things. And this is a, that was an NBA record, six straight games of 30 points and 60% from the field. So he's been doing some big-time things over these past six games and doing some big-time things this whole season. He's on course now to win his fourth MVP. He's on course now to win that fourth MVP. I mean, he he's a darn near walking triple-double in LeBron James. I mean, he does it all. He defends. I mean, he's 56% field goal percentage for this guy from the field. 56%. That's big time. That's big time. And the things LeBron James can do in terms of passing the ball, defending, his jump shot seemingly has gotten better. LeBron James, over these past few weeks, and just throughout the course of this year, has just been amazing. He's been absolutely amazing, LeBron James. He's been special. He's been special. <clears throat> and the way he's playing now, the talk, you know, is Michael Jordan's birthday. Tomorrow he'll be 50. And obviously the talk is going to be about Jordan, LeBron James, and does LeBron James, will LeBron James, I think you have to, the way you have to word it is, will, because you can't say at this point he surpassed Jordan. Will he surpass Jordan? He has a good chance. He definitely has a good chance to surpass Michael Jordan. But I, I think at this point it becomes blasphemous to, to talk about LeBron James in the same – well, you can start talking about him in the same sentence. But in terms of whether or not he's going to, to, to get to Jordan's level, six titles – you know, the things that Michael Jordan has done throughout the course of his career. LeBron James only has one title. And I know LeBron said, James said it's fair to start comparing guys in terms of titles and everything. But I think it's a part of the argument. Greatness has to be measured by titles, too. You can measure greatness by titles as well. And LeBron James has done, to, to this point in his career, he's done a lot of great things. He's done a lot of great things. Won some titles. Won one title, I should say. And everybody says he's on his way to win another this year with the Miami Heat. I'm not ready to crown the Heat. I'm not one of these guys who's crowned the Heat at the All-Star break. I'm not doing it. OKC is still formidable. The Spurs are still formidable. In terms of the Eastern Conference, I might be prepared to put a crown on them in terms of the Eastern Conference, in terms of being an Eastern Conference champion. I, I think I'm, I'm close to being prepared to doing that. I don't see a team in the Eastern Conference that can beat the Miami Heat in the seven-game series. Pacers could give them trouble. The Knicks could give them trouble. But I don't see any other team that's really going to – Derrick Rose, if he comes back, the reports are, uh, that he may not come back this year. So the Bulls won't give him trouble. Brooklyn. That's a team that's been up and down throughout the course of this year. I don't really see them giving the Miami Heat trouble. I don't – I mean, uh, I, I see – I mean, the Pacers could compete with, with the Heat, and then I believe that the Knicks can compete with the Heat. But I, I don't see that – I don't see any of those teams beating the Heat in the seven-game series. I can see Oklahoma City beating the Heat in the seven-game series. I can see the Spurs beating the Heat in the seven-game series. I can't see 
I can't see anybody in the Eastern Conference. I just can't. But LeBron James, again, he's been special. And when it's all said and done, he may surpass Jordan in, in some areas. But the thing and the, the area that will that may keep him behind Michael Jordan is the championships. LeBron's twenty eight now. Can LeBron do you see LeBron being able to, to get I can see about two to three more, but he would have to get five to six five to tie Jordan and six to surpass him. I don't know if that is going to happen. I don't know if that's going to happen. Because you, you, I don't know, I mean, can he get five more titles? Kevin Durant is formidable, and Oklahoma City is formidable. At some point, I think you have to, will Durant just turn into to Patrick Ewing, to Charles Barkley, to anybody else that's ran into Michael Jordan? Could he turn into that? Could he be this generation of Barkley and Malone and Stockton and, and Ewing, guys who could not get past Michael Jordan? Could he, Kevin Durant, turn into that? And could LeBron turn into this generation's Michael Jordan? There are things that LeBron does better than Jordan. I think you could argue that LeBron's probably a better rebounder than Michael Jordan. I think he's a better passer than Michael Jordan in terms of being a better pure passer than Michael Jordan and talking about LeBron James. I think he's better in that area. But Michael Jordan, you know, let's not forget. Let's just not forget. You look at Michael Jordan, you're you're talking about a guy who didn't lose in the NBA Finals. You're talking about a guy that two, three-peats in his career. And you look at Michael Jordan, if he didn't retire – in 94, you could argue that the Bulls could have won eight championships in a row. You could make the argument that the Bulls would have won eight championships in a row during those two seasons, where, well, the one-and-a-half seasons where Michael Jordan set out. Set out in 94, came back in 95, but they lost to the um, Orlando Magic. And I remember that series, and Horace Grant was celebrating as Horace Grant was a part of Magic at that point. But you look at it, Michael Jordan, when he stuck around, he could have won eight to nine titles in a row, even after when he retired in 98. The next season was a strikeout, a lockout-shortened season in 99. So that was a lockout-shortened season, and so that was a short season, and yes, the Bulls were getting older. They were getting older at the time. Rodman getting older, Pippen getting older, and Michael getting older, but Pippen still had some decent seasons after 98, still had, still had some decent play, still had a couple, two to three decent seasons after, um, Michael, Jordan, uh, after Michael Jordan retired in 98. So you could argue, you could make the argument that the Bulls under Michael Jordan could have won nine to ten titles in a row. You could make that argument. They never went to a seventh game in the NBA Finals under Mike, with Michael Jordan. Never went to a seventh game in the NBA Finals with Michael Jordan. You could argue that the Bulls could have easily won 10 titles in a row. Three three-peats, 
two three-peats, I should say, for the Bulls and Michael Jordan. That could have easily been nine in a row, eight to nine titles in a row, possibly ten. So Michael Jordan is great. LeBron James is great. But as far as I'm concerned, I know LeBron James says it's not about titles. But as far as I'm concerned, to me, in making this argument, I'm putting it about titles because these guys, you could argue that LeBron is doing things that Michael couldn't do in terms of his passing, in terms of his rebounding ability. But Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was special. Michael Jordan could defend. Michael Jordan could score. LeBron couldn't score the way Michael Jordan could score. And also you got to look at the rules, rule changes over the years. At the time Michael was going, hand-checking was, was a big part of the NBA game in terms of defensive side of the ball. So guys were able to use their hands a lot more freely than they are now. The game has been opened up a little more. Jordan or LeBron? I'm still sticking with LeBron. I'm still sticking with Jordan, I should say. I guess you could start possibly talk. You know what? I said you could talk about Jordan and LeBron in the same sentence. Not yet. I think there's a paragraph here with Jordan. LeBron's in a separate paragraph. He's not prepared to make that jump into the sentence of Michael Jordan, into the paragraph at least. I don't, I'm not even going to put him in the same paragraph with Jordan. Not yet. You've got to win more championships. Win more championships, and we can start talking about that. But I'm not one of these guys who believes that Michael Jordan never will be surpassed. I mean, let's be honest. Somebody's going to surpass Michael Jordan. That's just life. That's just the way it is. Somebody's always going to be better than you or anybody else. There's always someone better in life. Always. Always someone better. Let's bring him in now, actor and one of the stars of CW's Beauty and the Beast, the one, the only, Brian White. Brian, how are you, man? I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's a blessing. And, Brian, I want to start with your Celtics now. Your Celtics, you lose Rondo. At that point, you guys were the eighth seed. Nine games later, you're eight and one without Rondo. You're the seventh seed. How is that possible? <laughs> um, everybody's playing with a lot of heart and a lot of energy. Um, what happens when Rondo leaves? You know, the Celtics aren't better off. But one thing that they do is they space the floor better um, because they're playing with more energy because everybody has to touch the ball. Um, whereas everybody's running to a spot when Rondo's playing and then sometimes can get caught watching. Now everybody has to be ready for the ball just to get it up the floor. So that creates energy. That creates better spacing, and it's resulting in better defense and more wins. So if we can sustain that, that's left to be seen because, you know, we're getting thin. <laughs> you know, if anybody goes down just do a twisted ankle, you don't have somebody to come off the bench. If anybody has an off night, you don't have somebody to come off the bench. So I'm hoping they make some uh, a few moves here to add a little bit more depth. But uh, I'm loving the heart, and I'm loving the display of Celtic pride. And I look at the Celtic team over this nine-game stretch. You know, you're playing teams like Sacramento. You're playing Orlando. You beat the Clippers without Chris Paul. You beat Toronto. You beat the Lakers. You beat Denver without Iguodala, without Gallinari, without Wilson Chandler. Uh, it Could it be just the schedule just broke right for this team? Um, no, I don't think it's the the schedule broke right. I think you know across the NBA, you're seeing the teams are you know have injuries and challenges, and that's not going to stop. Um, I think w- what we're just seeing is uh, 
people executing now uh, on the level we thought that they would execute all season long. Everybody thought Jeff okay. Green and then Jet, Jet uh, Barbosa before he went down would play like this from day one, you know, together, and they didn't. Um, Courtney Lee, everybody's playing well right now. This is what, when we had a full squad, everybody should have been doing, and we would have been running through everybody. You know, because we'd have been 12, 15 deep with everybody playing well. Right. You know, if Fab Mello was on the squad, you have another seven-footer that's developed, you know, when he'll come in. That's what we thought we'd have at the start of the year. I think that's really what we're seeing from a depleted squad. So they're, com- they're still able to compete. And, you know, people are just realizing, wow, originally this was a well-conceived team by Doc and Danny. And I agree with you. Coming into the season, I really like what the Celtics did in the offseason. I know you lost Ray Allen, but I like the pieces that you brought in to replace Ray Allen. The only concern I had was where Ray Allen went. He went to the Heat, and that that was my only concern coming into the season. But I thought the Celtics would be a better basketball team. And and I look at this team over this nine-game stretch, one guy who stepped up, you watch this team every night, is Paul Pierce, averaging 17 points, nine boards and seven assists during this nine-game stretch, basically close to a triple-double. How impressed have you been with Paul Pierce over this stretch? I mean, he's the truth, and he's not the truth for, <laughs> you know, no reason. And uh, when he's when he's healthy, psh, there's, there's not many better in the league. And right. uh, he's able to get it done. What I like about what he's doing this year is he's finding a way to assist more, to be a facilitator. He's, he's being a point forward, uh, uh, you know, like what Magic – uh, did sometimes when he wasn't running the true point guard. And right. that's where he can be the most valuable. Where he can be even more valuable, in my opinion, is figuring out how to get Jeff Green more involved, even if that means coming off the bench on some nights when when Jeff Green gets a nice uh, mismatch uh, in the matchups, you know, for Paul to kind of be a, a player coach with Doc to figure out that. Because when Jeff Green's on fire, the Celtics can't really be beat, and Paul can turn it on and off. Jeff can't so much. So right. I think that's where, uh, you know, the Celtics can really take it to the next level is using Paul to figure out how to maximize Jeff Green. We're talking to actor Brian White, one of the stars of CW's Beauty and the Beast. And realistically speaking, in your mind, we, we know what the Miami Heat are doing. We know what the way LeBron is playing. We know what the Knicks are doing. All in all, are the Celtics realistic contenders in the Eastern Conference? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Based on what I'm seeing and and how everything breaks down, there's a lot of competitive teams. So everybody's got to be ready for wars. A lot of stuff's going to happen. Injuries are going to happen. Uh, the Celtics have shown they're designed to last, kind of like the Patriots are always designed. You know, just another mm-hmm. guy can step up. They just need to make a couple of additions. It'll it'll you know they need to give KG some support. You know, in the paint, I'm a big fan of them signing Kmart. Um, they need a, Kmart, you know, another okay. point guard. I like Shelvin Mack. Uh, All right. Uh, he actually you know, had and, 10 and, days and, uh, recently. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Micah Downs is somebody that should get another 10-day. He looked good in preseason. He looked ready. Uh, he likes to get on those boards. I got him, you know, he plays paced up. Seems to be a low-risk, high, you know, upside type guy that they can get for no money without – you know, causing too much problems and get to see, you know, and stay competitive and not overwork guys right now. So, you know, I'm hoping they'll do stuff like that. And if you have a – if that kind of a roster pans out, yeah, we can go deep with anybody. You know, in seven games, anything can happen. They could beat the Miami Heat, in your opinion, in a seven-game series, the way they're presently constructed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Birdman is the biggest challenge 
uh, in my opinion, in a series. He adds a lot to that Miami squad mm-hmm. uh, as mm-hmm. far as their toughness, as far as their engine, as far as their ability to get rebounds that aren't by LeBron James. Um, and, uh, you know, for us to be able to compete there, it's going to be a lot about, you know, in the playoffs, it's going to be a lot about Fab Mello. Is he going to show up and be a factor at all? Um, you know, Wilcox is coming along. You got KG. If they add another piece like a Kmart, and then you have Fab Mello, absolutely we can compete. And I look at this Celtics team, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you for a moment here. I don't think they can beat the Heat without Rondo. And I also think, and I want to get your opinion on this, uh, you look at the Celtics from the 80s, that big three of Bird, Mikhail, and Parrish, those guys ultimately broke down, and it kind of hurt the franchise for a long period of time. Granted, Reggie Lewis died. Granted, Lynn Bias died along the way. But I almost think the Celtics at this point should be sellers. I think they should think about trading a KG. Think about reworking this roster at this point, because at some point, at some point, you're going to have to move on from Garnett and even possibly Pierce. How do you feel? Oh, about absolutely, that? absolutely. But here's the the flip side of that coin. I was a big advocate of the Clippers trade. You know, if they could get Jordan and Bledsoe, uh, right. you know, and then take like Jamal Crawford and then Karan Butler to, to round it out. You know, really only two players for the future, and then two players that can help you right now for KG and, and Paul. Paul and KG live in LA anyway. I mean, it's a realistic you know trade for everybody. So figure out how to create. Rondo and Sully's team for the future, going to develop Melo all year, and now you have a real squad. Bledsoe and Rondo and Bradley and Lee, they're still on the same team. That's crazy. With Jeff Green and all them coming off the bench, that's a that's a good move in my opinion. But, you know, now that people are hurt and people can't play and, you know, what's the value? I don't know if that's realistic anymore, you know. Right, right. As it and first, I think – I personally think it should, they should think about Garnett. I think I would keep Pierce. I would think about seeing what I can get for KG at this point. I, I just don't think the Celtics can beat the Heat in a seven-game series. There, and, and you look at teams like the Celtics and the Lakers over the years, those teams are about championships. If you're not a championship contender, then I think you should think about some things in Boston. Also, you look at the last time the Celtics were able to, to get to the point they are, in two, well, the point they got to in 2008, what they were able to do was essentially they collected pieces and they parlayed those pieces into Ray Allen, into Kevin Garnett. I know, but I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you about the, the competing with the Heat because there's a, you know, I'm in Toronto, so I'm watching, uh, we went to go see the Heat play Toronto. Rudy Gay gives LeBron James problems. There's lots of players that give LeBron James problems. LeBron's just dominating. You know, he's coming through in the end. He's finishing. He's closing. Doesn't mean, you know, Rudy Gay's covering him at the end of the game or Rudy Gay's going to the rack on him. The Celtics, let's say they add Kmart in a series, Pulp, and they're healthy. Truth gives LeBron problems. He covers him well. On defense, he's not going to stop him. Nobody's going to stop mm-hmm. him. But Paul does about as good his job when he's healthy as anybody. He's crafty. He doesn't go for a lot of stuff, and he counters that. You have Jeff Green, healthy and confident, being maximized by Paul. That's a good tandem. Bass does a decent job, and you add Kmart. You got that's four guys to deal with their one superstar. Assuming LJ's healthy and going off and shooting with the percentages he's shooting now, that's that's fine over a series four on one. The rest of them, 
you know, the squad matches up. Like I said, again, it's it's Melo and being a seven-footer and young and trying to run and, you know, playing up to his potential showing up that really shifts the scales. And a guy like Kmart. Now, at the point guard, you need one more guy. And if, if Mac ends up being half as good as he looks in the D-League, that's Chalmers is not a great point guard, in my opinion. And that's, again, if you're really pressuring him, like Bradley and Lee and mm. these guys can do, I think that shifts that game if if you can manage LeBron and platoon. He, so, he's not, you know, we'll Chalmers see. is not great, but he, I, I think he does what they need him to do for the Miami Heat. And I also think you're kind of discounting Dwayne Wade a little bit. I don't I mean, think Wade can get off Bradley at all. I don't think I think Wade, okay. I think Bradley's going to shut him all the way down. I don't think he's going to be a factor at all. So you're saying let, so let me make sure I have you clear. You're saying in a seven-game series, you think the Celtics can compete the way they're presently constructed and granted they make a No, 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 no. But, I'm saying they need to make some additions. We need okay, a point okay, guard okay. that fits into that system that that okay. is a serviceable backup. Not even a, a starting point guard, like a surface okay. led. They say Jets running the, the first point guard. Like okay. if Sheldon Mack is half as good, if his stats are half, forty uh, percent right. what they are in the D League for the Celtics, or somebody better, um, and Melo can average forty percent, fifty percent of his D League stats. I think he's getting like ten points, so he's getting there with five points, but he's getting some rebounds. He's able to run a pick and roll. He is a threat. You know, he understands the system. Not a star. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Kmart type guy, where you have a four-man rotation of serviceable players that are sizable and strength enough to bang with LJ and run with him up and down the court. Yes, because Chalmers has—he's—he's he's okay when he's not pressured. We're talking about what the Celtics are doing now is playing energized defense, and if you can go too deep, where Wade's got pressure from Bradley, denied defense half the game. Same thing with Lee. Same thing with whoever this new point guard is. Same thing with Jet trying to play defense like he has been. While they're healthy, that's giving the Heat problems. That's what Battier does to people, and he's only one person. We've got four deep on guards, or that's what we're designed to do, to put that kind of pressure for playoffs on guys like D-Wade who aren't young enough to do that for seven games. I also I want to switch to football now, Brian, and I want to get your thoughts on the Super Bowl, get your thoughts on this whole what Ray Lewis and the Ravens and what they did. Have you ever you've been around sports your whole life? Your father's JoJo White. You played in the NFL, so you've been around sports your whole life. Have you ever seen such an inspirational run like the Ravens had with Ray Lewis this past season? <sighs> that run I had to go through New England, so yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm really happy for Ray. You know, he uh, he's had the uh, greatest of all time career, so. Uh, yes, that, that was uh, definitely inspirational. Um, you know, it rubbed me wrong that we had to, you know, they had to do it with some injuries happening to us. I thought we uh, we definitely had a great game plan and, and right. executed um, up through the point of those those two huge injuries and uh, more power to Baltimore. And then in the uh, the final game, I think they just showed that veteran leadership um, and execution of a coaching design always triumphs. You know, I don't think CK for San Fran was able to perfectly execute their offensive game plan, and mm-hmm. that was because of the Ravens' superior defense, and there you go. Ravens pulled it out. Definitely. and it, I mean, it was a great run, an inspirational run by Ray Lewis. Just just amazing, phenomenal. And, and you played wide receiver in the NFL, correct? Defense, defensive back. Safety. You played DB. Okay, so let's, let's look at that pass interference call, or lack thereof, in the end zone, Crabtree and Jimmy Smith. 
in your mind. I don't think yeah. it was because of the way the game was called throughout. The greatest thing mind. that I've ever seen was a non-call because you see, <laughs> you see Crabtree pushing and holding and trying to move the wrists off to get an advantage outside right away, and they're hand fighting from from the jump, and that's what happens on every play. So you know, there's a lot of contact. You rarely don't see flags thrown. So it's nice, you know. Receivers should not expect to get a flag. You know, if they get lit up coming across the middle, they shouldn't expect to get a flag. It's a bonus right. to get that penalty flag. So I'm not mad at it at all. You know, I get mad more as a defensive-minded player at unnecessary flags. You know, so GB Brian White would have did the same thing in that particular situation. Hell yeah! I mean, there's a <laughs> chance that you're not going to get a flag if you don't do that. There's, <laughs> you know, every chance he's going to catch the ball and you're going to lose. So you you have to gamble, err on the side of caution. And that's what you know. That's what he did. And to me, it was just a good football play. You know, there he didn't tackle him. He didn't, you know, uh, grab his arms and pull him down early. Uh, you know, they were both hands fighting each other, and that's, that's how it goes. Yeah, and, and I, I I would agree either way. I mean, if they would have called it, I could have understood. And they didn't call it, and I understand. And all in all, it is what it is. We're talking to actor Brian White, one of the stars of CW's Beauty and the Beast. And, Brian, let's talk about Beauty and the Beast on the CW Network. airs Thursday, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Tell us about this great show. Um, it's got a little bit of everything. There was uh, an original back in, I believe it was 1984, featuring Ron Perlman from Sons of Anarchy and Linda Hamilton. Today's version, uh, The Beauty is played by Kristen Crook, who people know from Smallville, and uh, Jay Ryan, this New Zealand, um, uh, George Clooney-esque uh, beast, and he's, uh, his character is like um, Dave Banner, the Hulk. So he's a government experiment that... Uh, when he gets emotional or angry or upset or uh, tense, he, his body kind of morphs into this beast character. And um, okay. Kristen's character is a cop. Uh, we're New York City cops. I play her boss. And uh, currently we're on this. Uh, uh, the stories are all starting to intertwine and collide. I'm a tough but fair New York City police detective. Um, and uh, pretty soon Vincent might uh, end up on our radar and uh, so all the stories start to intertwine, and it's got sci-fi, it's got superheroes, it's got drama, it's got lots of romance, um, and uh, it's on the CW Thursdays at 9, 8 Central. And, and talk about your character, Joe Bishop. Tell us about Joe. Well, he's a lieutenant in the New York City Police Department. Um, he's married. Uh, he has a tumultuous home life, uh, a young son, and uh, he starts to have a relationship we've just discovered he's having a relationship with beauty's partner Kristen crook's partner and uh we're gonna and we've also just met his uh younger brother played by christian keys and so we're about to find out a little bit more about joe's family about the backstory about what's going on um and how these relationships this love triangle is going to come to a head uh actually next week so folks should tune in next thursday fans check it out Thursdays on the CW Network, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. It's Beauty and the Beast, and it's our man, Brian White. Brian, I know you're active on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? At actor Brian White. That's my handle. Um, and then hashtag B-A-T-B for the show Beauty and the Beast. But at actor Brian White is me. Holla at your boy. And also, I also know you got a, you got a website. Where can fans connect with you on that website? 
BrianWhiteOnline.com, and then my youth empowerment movement, Black Carpenter at Black Carp. Um, excuse me, BlackCarpenter.org. Fan support some of the great things Brian White has going on. Brian, it was a pleasure having you, man. Let's do it, it was again. A blessing to be on, brother. Thank you. Good luck with your Celtics. Thank you much. Thank you much. Go <laughs> Celtics. Brian White, one of the stars of Beauty and the Beast on the CW Network. Make sure you check him out each and every Thursday, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central, Beauty and the Beast, CW Network, actor Brian White. And in a moment now, I'm about to do something that, you know, not necessarily a good thing, not always a good thing, but today is going to be very necessary. Uh, I'm about to shoot a sheriff. I'm uh, about to shoot a sheriff. We're, got, we're about to bring in a guy now. We're about to get our debate on this. The guy who spent many years in television, knows the ins and outs of television, knows a lot about sports as well. Let's bring him in now, the one, the only, Brian Sheriff. Brian, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. And, Brian, I know you had a you had a great story about Michael Jordan, and we're going to talk about Michael Jordan and LeBron James. But before we talk about Michael Jordan and LeBron James, give us your great Michael Jordan story. Well, you know, Paul, I appreciate it. You know, I want to take your listeners back. You know, Michael had a lot of great balls. But I want to take your listeners back to March 95. And we're in Indianapolis. At the time, I'm working for the NBA, and my job is to coordinate with NBC the weekly broadcast, and it just so happened the Bulls were playing the Pacers on the Sunday NBC game. So we get the word the day before we're doing an interview with Reggie Miller, who's at the height of his career. And so we're doing a pregame interview with him, and uh, a call comes in from the league. I can't remember who it was. said, hey, guess what? The rumors are true. Michael is coming back. And in the middle of the interview with Reggie so, uh, Reggie Miller, his, literally his draw, jaw drops. And so we go <laughs> on the hunt, and we try to find out if this rumor is true. They fly in Bob Costas. And it was just fun being on the forefront of that, trying to figure out was he coming in, was he not coming in. The team was already in. He wasn't with the team. You know, Indy and Chicago are so close together, the team actually busted in. And so what happened is Michael came in, left at 2 in the morning from Chicago, and took a limo into, Chicago, uh, into Indianapolis, showed up. We still didn't know. He stayed in a different hotel. We went to Phil Jackson's room, and he wasn't talking. But anyway, he appeared at Market Square Arena about 8 a.m. in the morning. And i got to tell you, Paul, it was like the second cover, something <laughs> I've never seen in sports. Because, you know, he'd been gone a year and a half. And there were thoughts maybe he wouldn't come back. There were rumors about why he left in the first place. But to see this guy after a year and a half, he just came out in an empty arena. The lights were, I mean, it was very dark. And I remember he was wearing a Spike Lee sleeveless black tank top. And it said uh, whatever Spike Lee's motto is uh, on the front. And he just stood there by himself shooting free throws. So that's my Michael. That's my favorite Michael story. And speaking of Michael Jordan, he turns 50 tomorrow, which is a beautiful thing. And we've been talking a lot over this past week about Michael Jordan in comparison to LeBron James. Let's just say LeBron James in comparison to Michael Jordan. LeBron James has been special over these past six games, over 30 points, 
60% from the field. I mean, absolutely special. Something we have never seen. It's a record. We've never seen it before. Sheriff, LeBron Jordan. Will LeBron James surpass the great Michael Jordan? Tell me what you think. Okay, in, in one word, no. But that is not at all to put down LeBron. Hey, Paul, LeBron is the best we have right now. Right. I mean, Michael, you, you know, the thing is, and like I said, you know, everybody has a Michael Jordan story. You know, there were so many iconic moments in his career, going back to hitting the shot at North Carolina. You know, this guy was different even when he was at North Carolina. Right, it started now, he played off with right. some great play. He was around Sam Perkins, and he was around James Worthy, and he had a great coach, you know, at North Carolina. Uh, you know, he struggled when he came in. There's a lot of, you know, there, I mean, there are some similarities with LeBron. But there, to me, you know, Michael had a tougher, I think Michael had a tougher way to go, even than mm-hmm. LeBron did if you compare their early careers. And I think the way he ultimately came, you know, surfaced after five years, and it was considered a struggle. People had forgotten about Michael because we were—we all we paid attention to is Magic and Bird in Michael's right. early years. You know, Michael was not relevant. But, you know, his you know his real moment in the NBA was against Magic Johnson. You know, in the in that finals after Kareem retires. You know, it, now it's Magic's team, and they go up against the upstart boys, who had been pumped by the Pistons for definitely years in the East. You know, and people still did not believe Michael. And then Magic goes out in Game One and destroys the Bulls. I don't recall if it was at Chicago Stadium or it was at the Forum, but I remember in that Game One, people would say, you know, Michael isn't ready, and then they come back and sweep the Lakers. It was, it was in it, Chicago. And then it's on. And then it's on. And then, you know, but I, I think comparing those two, it's sort of unfair to LeBron because you're dealing with a guy that uh, was just so far out there in terms right. of big moments and being able to carry his team. And I look at it this way, and, and I know Michael Jordan said that at this point LeBron hasn't surpassed Kobe, and I agree with him on that point. I look at it this way. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna preach to you for a moment. You okay. know, in order to get to God, you got to go through Jesus. And at this point, <laughs> Michael is God, and Kobe is Jesus. Kobe has the five titles. Michael has the six. And right now, LeBron, let's just say he's Moses at this point. He's he's okay. Moses at this point. He has the one right. title. As far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not. I don't think we can put LeBron and start comparing him to Michael just yet. He hasn't got past Kobe. In order to get to Michael, you got to get past the Sun. And as far as I'm concerned, you got to win more titles. You only have one championship. Michael was about titles. Michael was about winning. And I said earlier, I said earlier, the Bulls easily could have won possibly eight to nine titles in a row if Michael didn't retire that first time in '94 and that second time in '98. Because as yep. you remember, the following year was a lockout shortened season, and that would have been perfect for that Bulls team, which was aging at the time, but it would have been a perfect season for that Bulls team. So as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, no, I, I, not yet, not yet. And I think you're right. It is a disservice to LeBron because he still has a lot more to play. And Michael, at this point, he has six titles. LeBron has one. 
Titles do matter as far as I'm concerned in this argument. Yeah, no, I think we're in the same boat here. I mean, I heard you speak earlier, and, and that is true. The two years that the Houston Rockets, now I take nothing away from who uh, Akeem Olajuwon, uh, who I love that those Houston Rockets team. But you have to, you have to say there would be no Rockets, there would be no Kenny Smith, right. there, there would be no Rudy Tomjanovich in our <laughs> memories if it weren't for Michael leaving the game and going to play uh, minor league baseball. So, uh, you know, you know it's, it's, it's always fun to compare eras and, uh, you, you know, and, and to say could LeBron, if he would have played in Magic and Bird and Isaiah, uh, you know, where would LeBron have been? I think LeBron would have been a good player, a very good player. You, you know, I, I, think if, I think Michael could play today. You know, I don't know a two-guard out there. Hey, I don't want to get started on Kobe. That's a, that's another episode where we talk. Yeah, but, but I don't know of a two-guard out there right now that, that could play with Michael, that, that, could, uh, that could guard Michael. You know, the only guy, you know, right. the other thing, you know, Michael has, you know, it's great to, you know, celebrate his birthday and everything. But there's so many uh, uh, stories about Michael Jordan. And one of them is the Sports Illustrated uh, cover that had Joe Dumars in a sort of like a, 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 as the giant and guarding Michael. And, the, and I think the title was The Only Man in the League Who Can Guard Michael Jordan. <laughs> and, 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 Dumars, and Dumars carried that. And he did a decent job. But he didn't do a great job. Nobody, right. nobody guarded Michael Jordan. Yeah. But, uh, it, you know, it's fun. You know, I also heard you talking earlier, um, you know, the NBA in general and the, the All-Star game. You know, and here we are celebrating it. And uh, I don't know, you know, it, it is, you know, the all-star memories, you know, there's a lot of great all-star memories. I don't know, um, it, you know, it. What do you, let me just ask you, what do you think about it? I mean, you mentioned earlier that uh, it doesn't carry the same cachet that, that I hear you say or not. Oh, I, I, I talked about the All-Star game, and I was saying in terms of comparing it to other sports, I think it's the best All-Star game out there. Yeah. All, and, it's you know, it's kind of relative because all All-Star games, if you really look at it, stink. They all stink. It's just the NBA, as far as I'm concerned, always had the best weekend. They always had the best event, the dunk contest, three-point shooting yeah. contest, and everything that they do. To me, it's always the best. And even you look at it in terms of how they play in the fourth quarter if the game is close or in the final two minutes of the game. It becomes intense, and it becomes a very good basketball game. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. I, I would say this in the NBA All-Star games, by memory. I think the opening minutes are very entertaining when you got the five-on-five five starting players. Mm-hmm. I see the opening five minutes. The coaches always seem to let those players play, and, and they just shoot it out. And then I agree with you, if the game is close, then you got uh, then you'll have you know some of the players stepping up or what they do they'll feature somebody they want to take care of. Uh, you mm-hmm. remember a couple of years ago Kobe was going for I guess some record uh, maybe it was the all time scoring record trying to surpass Carl uh, Malone who okay. held that record for quite a while. I mean you know it's a it, it's a it's a who cares record but these guys <laughs> care about that stuff. I mean, they actually care about that. I remember when Malone found out that he had surpassed, I believe, Wilt 
as the all-star all-time scorer. He, ha- he was very happy about that. And so was Kobe when he passed uh, uh, Carl Malone. But uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's gonna, it's a great weekend. I'm looking forward to the dunk contest, looking forward to the game on Sunday. I think no one does it like the NBA in terms of all-star games. Uh, again, they all stink, to be honest with you, but yeah. relatively speaking, I think no one does it like the NBA. Brian, so I think we can both agree that at this point, LeBron James has not and will not surpass Michael Jordan at this point. I, I don't see it. Giving four, giving four more titles. Okay. You know, let's give him four more times. That's a great team down in Miami. I know you watch a lot of NBA. You know, the way they uh, they they completely destroyed the Thunder the other night. I he mean, did. that was a that was a slap. That was a classic beatdown. Uh, that was Oklahoma's opportunity. You know, in hindsight, I thought, here's what I thought after watching the game. I thought, this is the best thing that could happen to the Thunder. To get slapped around like that. I mean, because now they know who they are. The Thunder, you know, Westbrook now knows who he is. And Durant knows who he is after that game. And they need to go back and, you know, because the Thunder are a good team. You know, and to get pushed around on their floor right before the break, the way they got pushed around, it was, you know, there was, there was that one moment where, uh, well, there, there were several moments in the game. I don't want to go into the details. But, uh, you, you know, it, I'll, I'll give LeBron. Let's give LeBron four more titles. Yeah, definitely. Then we can we can talk about him surpassing Kobe because I'm not really okay. sure that he's – he hasn't surpassed Kobe yet. But the, no. let, let's, yeah. let, let's, like you said, let's win a few more titles and then we can talk yeah. about that a little more. I want to go to football now. You have the story, Jadavian Clowney. The guy out of South Carolina, defensive and out of uh, South Carolina, big-time player. A lot of people, there's a, there's a suggestion out there that he should sit out the 2013 season because we all know that he would be the first-round pick if he went out this time, and he probably will be the first pick if he goes out when he goes out 2014. So in your opinion, in your opinion, Brian, granted we all know the rule, three years out of high school before you're eligible for the NFL draft. Should Clowney play this year, or should he sit out? Well, he should listen to his mother, and his mother has said that he should play. (laughs) But he should also listen to his agent and go out and get an insurance policy. I don't like that rule, Paul. I don't like that rule. I don't, you know, the NBA has their 20, you have to be 20 years old, I believe. And I support that. Uh, I don't quite understand the, the, the reasoning behind the NFL rule. Um, I, I think that eventually it will change. I saw, I mean, you, you see the Michigan, you saw the Michigan game, South Carolina. Right, that, that hit. I mean, I, the, the, hit. the hit was that, that, crazy. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about a YouTube hit. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean, this guy, you know, and you see that, and, you know, the guy has obviously got the strength. I don't know, you know, when you compare the college basketball, what Kentucky did last year, with, you know, coining that new term, uh, one and done, you, you right. know, I, I think it's a bit, uh, I, I don't think the landscape is level here. So, you know, my opinion is I, I, I don't like the rule. Now, in terms of what he should do, again, he should listen to his, his mother says he should play. And, well, you know, and, and, they, they say mama knows best. 
They do say mama knows best, but mama doesn't know all. So I'm going to disagree with you here, Brian. I think he should sit out. Um, And the thing about it is you look at the the body. The body only has so many hits in it. It only has so many hits. You only have so many hits in your body. So as far as I'm concerned, I look at it this way: you're, If you're in college, right, and you're you're, t- you're in a class, and if you t- you're, you got a test coming up, and if you take you already have an A, if you take this test, it can't help you. Only thing it can do is hurt you. So if you take this test, you could possibly not get an A because the only thing this test can do is hurt you. So as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think it's a good idea for. I think Clowney should sit out. Because his status is not going to change. He's probably going to be a high draft pick 2014, 2013. If he doesn't play again, he's going to be a high draft pick. And you saw the other day with Noel from Kentucky, a guy, you know, a freshman player with a lot of promise. Obviously, if it wasn't for that rule in the NBA where you have to go to college for one year, he would be in the league already. He would already be in the league. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if, if I was his mama or daddy, I would tell him to sit on out. You know what? And I know he's not going to do it. I know it's not going to happen. But I would tell him to sit out. I really would because nothing's going to change. Well, I, you know, sitting out, I tell you, here's the, here, I, I think the upside, there's always two sides to the story. The upside with sitting out, obviously, besides protecting against injury, uh, is, that it focuses a lot of attention on a rule that should be changed. True. I think for for that reason, I would support it. But I, I can't support it in any other way because, you know, it's the old you walk out and you get hit by a bus. To right. protect true. against injury. For the reason for protecting against injury, I you know, it, it, to me, these guys, they play. They play football, and that's what they do. They play. And uh, you know they could get in. He could get in injured in a preseason game. The other thing with City now, well, again, you, you know, I, I don't know that um, the uh, you know players, um, the teams, you know, sitting around waiting for this draft pick, uh, you know, would be necessarily a good thing. But I don't know. I mean, hey, we both agree on this. I tell you this: this guy can play, and he will be in the NFL. He'll be in the NFL <laughs> next year. Now, right. One way or another. Yeah, uh, you know, one way or the other. Also, you, you know, if he plays his, it would what would be his junior year, right? Mm-hmm. Coming up at South Carolina. So if he plays his junior year, uh, I'm sure that they would have ways of protecting him. And he is the hunter, not the hunted. So <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, it, you know, I might have a little different opinion if it, it was a running back. If he, if, if right. the running back with those kinds of skills is that much superior, then you say, okay, then we do protect this thing. You know, if we got Tony Dorsett sitting there, you, you know, maybe you do for. I mean, but he can so, even talk about he can even look at his teammate Lattimore, you know, yeah. and how he ripped up his knee. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I look at it this way: Would you rather get slapped for free, or rather get rather get ten dollars to get slapped? I mean, if somebody's going to slap me in the face, I'd rather get the $10. So, I mean, the thing is, he take, it's free hits. He, it, yeah. It's all free hits at this point. If I'm going to hit somebody, I want to hit somebody and get paid for it. And I think, you know, I think ultimately the point is the rule. And we both agree it's the rule. The rule it needs to be changed. I mean, if you can play on Sunday, you can play on Sunday. 
and and I think that's the bottom line. I mean, it's it's an unfair rule. Yeah, I mean, you know what? There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you've got to be 20 years old. Yeah, you know, I, I like the NBA rule. And, okay. Uh, you know, but this, the other stuff, I think the NFL will change. And I think by whether he sits out or not, I, I think it's there's enough attention focused on it. Hey, me and you are talking about it. There's a lot of people right. talking about it. There's enough attention focused on it that I think they will go back. You know, the NFL has a lot of other problems right now. I don't know that how far up the food chain this will be, right. to be quite frank, because they're dealing with some serious, serious issues. Definitely. But, uh, but I think eventually this is something that, that will change. Hey, the other thing, this guy's a freak. You know, this guy, this guy, you know, I see him, you know, and I, candidly, I didn't watch a lot of their games, you know, but, but I see him as almost like a Lawrence Taylor type. I think he's too good to be a defensive lineman. I think you've got to put this guy off the wing and uh, give him a number that starts with five and let him, <laughs> let him get it on, and, you know, from out there. Because this guy is the type of guy that actually strikes fear, you know, in right. uh, in, in, in uh, opposing linemen and uh, don't don't even ask a running back to try to pick him up. <laughs> no, I, I just that. don't – he seems like he's going to be a special talent on the next yeah. level. And as far as I'm concerned, why risk it? I mean, why yeah. why yeah. go why, – why? I mean, he's not going to sit out, obviously. He's going to play. That's the obvious. He's going to play, but I don't think he should. And I know Mama knows best, but – not all the time, not all the time, but we'll see what happens. And, and, Brian, let's go to the NFL. Let's look at the Eagles this week. They reworked yeah. Michael Vick's contract. They brought him back one year with incentives that could be worth $10 million. Brian, should the Eagles have brought back Michael Vick, or should they have moved on and with another quarterback? Well, he has a new coach. And uh, I, I like the deal for both ways. I like it for Michael, and I like it for the Eagles. The new coach now, hey, he's play, playing with house money. He's not obligated uh, at all. He, you know, he, uh, I don't know how many years they gave. Do you know how many years they gave uh, uh, the coach? Probably he, he had uh, Chip Kelly, I believe it's a four-or-five-year deal. Yeah, four or five years. Okay, so he's going to come in now. And, uh, and, I, and I think he's the type of coach that will like and get along with Vic as well. I mean, he's had that style of player at Oregon. He's had that kind of – although that Oregon quarterback right now is pretty good too. But, uh, but so I like the deal for both ways. I like it from uh, a fan's point of view. Hey, listen, Vic has been – Vic has carried this league. And I hope at the end of the day – that he gets his credit. You know, we we probably both agree he's probably not got a Super Bowl championship in his future. That that's probably he's probably, probably beyond this point. But I I hope the fans and people in general remember how good this guy was. You know, at Atlanta and how entertaining he was to right. watch. You know, it's like having Tebow to the nth degree. And I'm talking yeah, about Tebow at Florida. You know, when Tebow was at Florida, you know, it was like having Steve Young at the, you know, I remember when Vic was drafted, somebody said, hey, he's Steve Young. He had Steve Young with, with uh, ten times faster than Steve Young. So he was very entertaining. And now we talk about guys like the San Francisco quarterback, number seven out there, 
you know, Vic, Vic was the guy. You know, he was the guy that really, uh, you know, that really put entertainment back in football when there wasn't a lot of entertainment in football, you know, in his heyday. And I'm talking about, the, you know, the last few years in Atlanta. I mean, he was – you did not miss a Michael Vick game. He you basically know? was – I mean, he was – he was football in Atlanta. I mean, he was yep. football in Atlanta for, yep. for many, many years. And a lot of people yep. tend to forget that Michael Vick did win, and Michael Vick was a game away from going to the Super Bowl. I mean, yep. for and that was the first act of Michael Vick, and that was the Michael Vick who was fighting dogs. That was the Michael Vick who admittedly said, you know what, I paid attention to dog fighting more than I paid, paid attention to focused on football. So I look at Michael Vick, and, and I'm not ready to, to, to put a dagger at Michael Vick. I know over the past few years, a lot of turnover. He's been a turnover machine over the past couple of years. I know that. I get that. He's been injury prone over the past two years. I know that. I get that. But I saw in 2010 a guy who, you know, everybody's saying, yes, he's 33 years old. But to me, he's 31 because he spent two years in prison. So he's 31 in football years. So yeah. I, I look at Michael Vick, and I saw what he did in 2010. He did change himself as a quarterback in 2010. He became a better passer in 2010. So I'm not going to doubt Michael Vick. I think there's, there's a chance for Michael Vick to do something special in this Chip Kelly offense. But I will say this. I've seen a guy over the past two years, and I watched the Eagles close. I love the Eagles. I, I, I've seen a guy who's, who can't stay healthy. And I've seen a guy who's turned the football over a lot. So the odds, you, you look at the last two seasons, you say to yourself, maybe it can, maybe it can't work. I think you have to say to yourself, it can't work. But you look at 2010 and you look at what he's done over his career, you're saying that there is always that possibility. This is his last chance, really, in, in some respect. This is his last chance. Can he make the yeah. most out of it? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I hope that he, you, the health issue is a big thing. You know, what's interesting, though, the NFL, the NFC East, has become a total toss-up. And right. I, I think that will bode well for him as well. I mean, you know, you look at the other teams in that, it's a very entertaining, uh, you know, division. You know, every game uh in that division is a, it seems to be a rivalry. You can't figure out who the rivalries are in the NFL <laughs> because they're all rivalries. They all got a bond right. to pick with each other. You know, you know right. there's some history, there's, there's some deep history there, I think, uh, more than any other division, you know. And so, Vic, you know, if this is going to be a swan song, Vic, this, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You got the guy in Washington. You got to try to figure out what the Cowboys are going to do, you know, right. the, the Giants. You know, it, it's going to be uh, very entertaining. But you know what? We can both agree on this. We're both big fans. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I, I, and I know there's going to be a lot of people out here who forever will hate Mike Vick because of what he did with the dogs and everything. But it is what I'm not going to say it is what it is because what he did was heinous. It was wrong. But he paid his time, yeah. he paid his debt to society. As far as I'm concerned, it's done. He's doing what he has to do to become a better person, seemingly. So the way I look at it is it, it, that's the past for me. I'm looking at Michael Vick. He's entertaining. He's a story. He, he's a, he is and forever will be a story. And I'm looking as an Eagles fan. You know, granted, I, I'm I'm kind of mixed on this, I, but I'm looking forward to watching Michael Vick for one more, one more time. And hopefully, it will end the way I want it to end. But I don't know. We'll see. We shall see. 
we shall see. Brian, a lot of fun, man. Yep, a lot of yep. fun talking with you. Uh, hopefully, everybody, I did shoot the sheriff. I tried to shoot the sheriff. He may have dodged a couple bullets. He may have dodged <laughs> a couple bullets. But uh, I, I tried. I tried to shoot the sheriff. And I'm sorry, hey, Paul, I, maybe I can go after the deputy next. Who knows? Who uh, knows? Okay. All right. Hey, Paul, thanks <laughs> for having me on. You do a great job, man. Thank you, Brian. Take care. Okay. Brian Sheriff, a lot of fun talking to Brian. I want to thank actor Brian White for stopping by. Make sure you check him out on Twitter, at actor Brian White. Check him out on Beauty and the Beast Thursday nights on the CW Network, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Also, I want to thank Michael Johnson of the Cincinnati Bengals. He's going to get paid in this offseason. I want to thank Michael for stopping by. I also want to thank Brian Sheriff for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for it Again, for everybody here at go for it We hope you have a great, great week. We hope you watch the NBA All-Star Weekend. It's going to be fun. See you later. Take care. Bye! Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.